the flow this year is going to be on Purim actually on the Megillah every year there's one year on the Megillah this is the only time we'll have a chance next week there's no shear next week is in some places in the world Purim so we make believe that it's Purim even though we have Purim on Friday also but it doesn't matter the Jews don't miss a trick when it comes to getting a day off this shear is dedicated memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman by his loving family and also by friends of David Wicks, if I know the his memory. Um, the, the amazing thing, uh, that there's a wondrous aspect to Megillat Esther. And that is that it, it's almost a modern story. I mean, a story written by modern authors. Almost, to my mind. Because Megillat Esther, in Megillat Esther, there are very there are very large number of characters that are pretty well developed, like Esther and Mordechai and Haman and Achashverosh. All of them, like, have a, a sort of a personality. They don't just do something and disappear. They have real personalities. All these these people. The second thing is that their variants, the variant in their personalities. Is, is quite remarkable. Uh, they're all different, one from the other. It's almost like reading a, uh, well, I won't say Shakespeare, but it's like reading a Greek play, you know, where each person in the play represents some different aspect of humanity. And this is how it is in Begilatus there. So what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do is show you in this uh, chapter, uh, Perek Dalit, the fourth chapter, contrasts Mordechai and Esther they're two different people and the, and the, uh, the uh, chapter to my mind shows this up very clearly now even though we know already from previous chapters that Mordechai was a loco parentis of Esther whose real name or Hebrew name was Hadassah and he, Mordechai, taught her. He, Mordechai, taught her. So you would imagine that they would be kind of mirror images of them, of each other. That Esther would be like Mordechai. But in fact, in chapter Dalit, in chapter 4, this uh, position is not uh, uh, developed at all. Quite the contrary. Let's look at Perik Dalit. Mordechai Yadda. Right, Mordechai had insight. He knew something. He was aware of something. Yadat kol asher He knew what was going on. He was the person who knew what was happening behind the scenes. What was happening behind the scenes that Haman and Achashverosh had contrived to do in the Jewish people somehow to make money on the deal a kind of a Jewish position actually but there are Goyim non-Jews who are like Jews in that, that way I mean sort of like it's so strange they wanted to kill the Jews but they wanted to make money while they were doing that and, and Haman pr- promised that that would happen then Vayikra Mordechai et Begadah 
he rent his garments, which is an act of mourning. This is an act of mourning in, in advance of the terrible situation. And why did he do that? By sakwa efer, a sackcloth, dirt. He put dust on him, on himself. So here he is, and then these are all things that Mordechai is doing deliberately, you know, to gain some sort of a result. And he went out into the middle of the city by his ak what was he doing, Mordechai? He was the only one who knew. Or he was one of the limited few who knew. And he's going out to the middle of the city. And he was a, an honored and respected member of the Jewish community. And here he is. Here he is calling attention to himself in a very odd way. Right? Mordechai Yadda. Rashi says... Bala Khalom Amalo Sheskimu Hael Yonim Lekach Lefishavulit Selem Bime Nevuchad Netzar Vishinahagu Misuda Vishinahenu Misudata Hashverosh. So Rashi is asking a question. Is ask is answering a question. What's the question that Rashi is answering? The question was, how could Mordechai have so little faith? How could he be so confident that the plan that was devised by uh, Haman and Ahasuerus would be successful? How, how is that possible, according, uh, according to Rashi? What's the answer? Balachaloma Malo, the, the, the one who created the dream that he had, Amalo, he told him that in heaven they had agreed to this plan of Achashverosh and Haman. Since the Jews bowed down to an idol in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, right? You know, remember the story of Daniel? He didn't want to bow down, he didn't want to eat the food, but the other Jews did. And the Jews in Shushan had Hana'ah, had pleasure at the Su'udah of Achashverosh. What was the pleasure? We don't know whether it was eating. That was certainly not kosher. It was, it was uh, drinking, uh, no unacceptable wine. We don't know. But apparently, apparently, what, what, according uh, to Rashi, what is bothering Mordechai is the chance that this will actually be successful, that they are not going to be able to protect themselves against Haman and Achashverosh, that they are going to pay a price, that they're going to pay a price. By Avo, and he came, Mordechai Pasubet, Adlif Deshar HaMelech, up to the gate of the king. Who's the Parachalom? What? Balacha, whoever, whoever told him this dream, whoever told him what was happening with Mordechai, with Achashverosh and, uh, and Haman. We don't know. No. He says... Yosef is Balacha. 
but in a different way. Yeah, in a different context. Pasuk Gimel, Pasuk Bet, where you have the Fdei Shara Melech, he ain't Lavol Shara Melech Vilavusak. You can't go to Shara Melech Vilavusak. I mean, you, you know, what? I'm in the third line. The second line, I'm sorry. The second line, ain't Lavol Shara Melech Vilavusak. I mean, you know that, that that's how it is in all the, the way we think of the uh, court, the, the majestic court. I mean, you don't just dress anything, any old way when you go to see the king. You dress up, and, uh, and wearing a sackcloth was certainly unsuccessful. Gimel. Bechol medinav dinav, bechol shadva melch v'datom agiyah, evel gadol la'yehudim, v'tzom u'mispeid, so it says that Mordechai was was so influential he was so highly regarded that every place in the Jewish world in those days when, when it became known to them what was going to happen they followed his lead they did as he did in other words, the people who were jealous of Esther's position, the people who protected her, her, her being a queen. I mean, she needed protection because she wasn't trained, actually, to become the queen of, of Persia. Uh, and they told her what was going on with Mordechai Vitit so you have the first time the first time where you have this kind of conflict of interest Mordechai Mordechai is wearing the clothes that represent who he is at this moment he is in mourning about what might happen to the Jewish people. And Esther represents the cover-up. says, no, you can't be like that. You can't be out there. Well, who was in danger exactly if Mordechai would wear this, uh, this strange kind of clothes? I mean, not Mordechai. He wasn't in danger because he thought that the Jewish people, of which he was a member, were really in danger. So who was in danger? Who was in danger? The only person that might, that might be in danger, who thought that she was not in danger, was Esther. So Esther is sending clothes to Mordechai in order to protect herself, but not to protect Mordechai. Because Mordechai is acting in this uh, irresponsible manner, because it's over. Jewish history may come to an end in a, in a, in a short while. Veloki Bel. And on and, and this point, at this point, there can be no agreement between Mordechai and Esther. Esther represents, represents the hiding, the clothing, the clothing that doesn't let you admit who you really are and what you're really worried about and what you're really thinking about. And Mordechai represents the truth, the truth of the situation. The fact that you have to own up to it. You have to be able to, to indicate uh, uh, who you are. 
and and Esther called this officer, one of the one of the officers of the king, Right, so she's the only person in the world who doesn't know what's going on. The pastor already said that all over the Jewish world, people were acting as Mordechai acted, and she's hidden away. She's in the in the castle in in Achashverosh, she's kind of placed there like a kind of a Donald Trump of the uh, yesteryear, you know, like he's got he's like in his gold uh, bedroom upstairs and and doesn't know what they didn't know what's going on. Esther, she didn't know what was going on. So she says, she wants to know, she sent them What is going on? goes out to Mordechai. And Mordechai is sitting there in front of the gate. And Mordechai explained to him what has happened in Parashat HaKesev Asher Mahaman Nishkol HaGizir by Yehudim Labdam and the money the money that Haman promised to earn to, to reap the benefits for Achashverosh from this action Pasuk Chet V'Pachein Tavadat Asher Natan Nitan B'Shushad Lashmidan Natan Lo Lehrotet Esther and he gave this the edict was written out. He gave her a copy, him a copy, to give to her, so that she should see that So he had a plan. He had a plan. I mean, almost hopeless. I mean, there was almost nothing left to do. But he said to the Tach, he said, "Look, tell your mistress." That she should go to Achashverosh and beg him to stay the edict. Beg him. That's what, that's what she was there for. She wasn't there for anything else. And now you have this marvelous interchange. And he told Esther what Mordechai had said. Remember, Esther said the clothing. Send clothing to dress him up with. It wasn't so bad. Just change the clothes you're wearing. You know, everything will be all right. So many people could hear their mothers saying that. So here's Esther. Esther makes the like the most uh, uh, um, unimaginable statement in all of Jewish history. What does Esther say? What does Esther say? Esther says, "I'm not part of the Jewish people." Uh, what? No, no, I'm making it up. Listen, listen. She said, I'm not part of the Jewish people. I'm not going to be killed. I mean, nobody knows who I am. I'm Esther. Esther Ishtar, right? I'm Esther. I'm a regular Persian girl. No one knows who I really am. 
except maybe those close to me know that Mordechai is my somehow related to me. But I'm not I'm not involved, she says to Mordechai. I'm here the queen. And I, I was not put here by fate in order to rise up like a phoenix and, and take care of a world shaking problem. No, I'm just I'm just the girl who was chosen to be the queen. And so Mordechai says to him, to her, I'm sorry. And she also she says, well, you know, I have this difficult problem. I haven't been called in the 30 days. And he has to put out his, his, uh, his scepter and he's got to, got to accept me. I, I, I mean, it is like a really a big problem. And here's Mordechai sitting there, unbelieving, unbelievable, that this girl who has an opportunity to save the Jewish people, or at least to try to save the Jewish people, is not concerned about what will happen with the edict that was promulgated by Ahasuerus and Haman. What she is worried about is her own life, her particular situation. That's what she's worried about. That's what she is worried about. By a gidel the Mordechai at there. You see that pasuk, you know, like it's five words. By a gidel the Mordechai at there. You can just imagine the distress that Mordechai had, the teaching that he taught her, the time that he spent in making her realize what her Jewish connection was about and why it was so important that she become the queen, etc. You can see by Yagidul the Mordechai at there, you get stage directions. You would have Mordechai crying harder, ripping more of his clothing. It would be sort of the end of the end it's like you try, you say, we're going to try just one last thing, one thing. We'll get Esther to intercede in our behalf. Will it work? Unlikely. But we've got to try. That's our last effort. And then Esther says, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not for that. Is, is Esther a young girl? Or, and maybe she's very young. It seems like someone who just... This, this year, we're not protecting Esther. <laughs> That's a different year. You can do that, but not uh, not Okay, pasuk yud gimel. Vayome Mordechai lashiv et elester, and Mordechai Mordechai pulls off all the stops, right, as they say. Lashiv et elester. He says to Esther, Al tidami binavshech. Do not even imagine for a moment. That you might escape, and all the Jews will be destroyed, and you might by destroyed. If you are quiet at this time, the Jews will be saved in any event. Otherwise, what? But you will die, and your household, your your father's house. Who knows, Esther? You have to take this opportunity because the Jewish people, the Jewish people are the the real issue here. Esther 
Lashiv El Mordechai. So finally, she got it. She got it. And, and and you know, if you look in Jewish history, look at Jewish history. What happened? How come the Jews managed to withstand uh, exile and the diaspora? Now you know that in 722 BCE, for those of you who count that way, 722 BCE, Sancheriv exiled the ten northern tribes. They exiled them and sent them off into the direction of Syria. <coughs> those ten tribes, to the best of our knowledge, in spite of some Adatic statements to the contrary, those ten tribes disappeared. They're gone. When all the ten tribes that were exiled by Sacheriv are gone. They were not able, they were not able to maintain in the diaspora. They just all disappeared. And this, I say this, taking into account all the people who talk about Burma and uh, Vietnam and uh, all those kind of places where, uh, uh, I don't think so, I don't think so. But uh, formally, all of those Jews who left, all of those ten tribes disappeared. Sometime later in Jewish history, 586 BCE, the Babylonians exiled the remaining Jews from Eretz Israel. The remaining Jews were mostly the tribe of Yehuda and uh, Binyamin, a little Binyamin north of Yehuda and Shimon south of Yehuda. They exiled them. They exiled them. And when they came back to Eretz Israel, when those people who were exiled by the Babylonians came back to Eretz Israel, they came back at the beginning of the Persian, when the Persians took over the Babylonian Empire. So it became the Persian Empire. And the king of Persia at that time, in 535 BCE, the king of Persia was Cyrus. That was what they call him in English. In Hebrew, Koresh. Koresh allowed the Jews to come back to Eretz Yisrael and to start rebuilding the temple. And that in Hebrew is called Hatzarat Koresh, the Edict of Cyrus. Now these people who came back to Eretz Yisrael and also the people who did not come back to Eretz Yisrael maintained, they, they existed, they somehow were able to maintain their Jewish identity in the face of this terrible oppression of Babylonians, then, uh, uh, then Persians, then Romans, then, then Greeks, and then Romans, and then poof, the whole, the whole world. So what changed? I mean, of course, I mean, this is a silly question, and it, the answer is also silly. But the answer is an answer that we're going to give, right? The answer will make sense to us, because it's important to us. So what happened? Why was it that the first exile destroyed the Jewish people, and the second exile did not destroy the Jewish people? But some of them came back to Eretz Israel. Some of them established uh, uh, important uh, academies in Persia, Babylon, which later on became Tanaim and Amoraim, right? The learned people in both of these communities in Eretz Israel and in Persia slash 
Babylonia, right? But it was that time it was Persia. It was the same the same kingdom, but it was Persian. It was not Babylonia. So what happened? What happened? So look at the Pusuk. The Pusuk is Pusuk thirteen. You'd give if you are quiet, So what was it that Mordechai? What was it that Mordechai knew? Somehow, he knew that the people, as a people, would be saved. But the person who took did not take the opportunity to contribute to that salvation, that person would be destroyed. That person would be gone. So that that what happened in the exile, I mean, after all, the Jewish people were not the only people in history who were exiled. But usually what happens in exile is that you lose your identity. You become part of the greater identity. But the Jewish people somehow realized that they had to remain part of a particular identity. And what was that identity based on at the time of Megillat Esther? That God wants us to continue to exist. That's what, that's what all the Jews have imagined. That's what all the Jews imagined. How, how else could it be that the Jewish people dreamed of going back to Yerushalayim, of having a Beit HaMikdash. I mean, all of those things are not just about the specific dream, but they are mostly about existence, that we will still be here, that whatever happens, we will be able to, to, to get through it. So, of course, there are always people who are exceptions to the rule, but Mordechai is trying to say to Esther, don't you understand? Don't just say what we're talking about. We're not talking about you. We're talking about the Jewish people. And if you have an opportunity to help the Jewish people, don't take that opportunity, you'll be severely punished, even though it looks like, it looks like God has forsaken us. But that's not the case. God has not forsaken us. So here you have a story. You have a story in which the first verb in the story is Mordechai Yadda. He knew something. He understood something. He knew that the Jewish people had to have a response to what Achashverosh and, and Haman were doing. And that that response that, more, that, uh, that was expected of the Jewish people, that response accepted the Jewish people, uh, that response uh, uh, had to come. It had to be there. It, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that, uh, that from their point of view it was kind of hopeless. But they had to show that they were unified in their protection of themselves. I mean, that's what being Jewish, that's what being Jewish meant. Was and one Was Mordechai um, at the time of Hatzarat Kodesh? Did he no, I don't know. You mean the date? I don't yeah, know about. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, I don't want to talk about that. Because yeah. in the list of Persian kings, which exist... Uh, Achashverosh does not appear so you have to now think of who Achashverosh could have been according to the list it's, it's, it's not something that is easily solvable but if I imagine I can imagine that it happened during the Persian period so it happened after Koresh it happened sometime after Koresh 
and exactly when it happened, uh, I, I don't know. But but you see that at that was the time when Jews came back to Eretz Israel. Some Jews, first with Zerubbabel and then with Ezra and Nehemiah, they came back to Eretz Israel. They set up a community. They started building the Beit Hamikdash, so that uh, and some stayed behind. Some did not come to Eretz Israel, and yet they were both. They were both. Uh, their faith was intertwined somehow. The faith was intertwined, which is the the reason ultimately, right? Ultimately, I'm saying a parenthetic statement now. Parenthesis. Why do we keep? Why do we celebrate Purim on two days? I mean, everybody understands that this is kind of ridiculous. Like, why didn't the Ancheik Zesed Abdullah, the men of the Great Assembly, just say, everybody keep one day? And even if it was true that in Paras, in Persia, they actually kept it in two days, right? The 14th, all the people who fought and won in the in the open cities, and on the 15th in Shushan, which might have been a walled city, Right, uh, they 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 celebrated a day later, so that in in Persia, in Persia they had a custom to celebrate on two days. Some people like day one, some people like day two. But in Eretz Israel at that time, there were no walled cities. Everybody agrees with that, and therefore, if they're going to imitate, if they're going to imitate uh, uh, Persia and have a real holiday that it should be on Yudalit in Eretz Yisrael. Why is it on Yudalit and Tetvav? It's a mystery, even though the Gemara answers the question. It's still, it's still a mystery. What I just wanted to say was that there is a kind of a, a unity, right? It's what happened in Persia meant something to the Jews in Eretz Yisrael. And with that kind of feeling of, of togetherness, they were able to maintain two separate communities. I mean, it's uh, the same thing anybody who comes from America understands that the connection between the Jews in America and the Jews in Israel is very important. Even a negative connection is important, right? You know, even the Satma Rebbe comes to visit, you know, to make sure that uh, his team is uh, intact. But it's important for everybody to be, you know, to be together. Eretz Yisrael and the diaspora that's the only way the Jewish people will continue to exist so you have you have two things you have and we could that Mordechai Yada and Esther Lo Yada and it took a, a, a while for Mordechai to convince Esther that she had to do something and so she did so it turned out from this conversation between Mordechai and Esther that the hero of the Purim story is Mordechai. I mean, he's the hero. Because he understood what was happening. And he understood what had to be done in order to solve the problem. Esther, she was just there. I mean, it was an accident. Mordechai encouraged her to become queen. She didn't become queen because she had, you know, great insight. And she didn't even become queen because she was good-looking. She became queen because she had no background, because she had no uh, yichus. They call it yichus. What is yichus in English? Uh, genealogy. I mean, she had no 
She had nothing. She was nobody. She was nobody. And that was the great asset that Esther brought to the kingship, as we have discussed in the past, right? Uh, Vashti, yes? Everyone thinks Esther is the heroine of the story. Well, that's why you came, isn't it? You don't want to hear the same thing. I have to get another job. Esther, Vashti, was a queen with clout. It may be, as others have pointed out, including Gratz, that she was probably the queen of the previous king of Persia. Achashverosh, the first pasuk of the Megillah, if you remember, Vayibi me'achashverosh, hu achashverosh, abolech mihode v'agosh evazum miyam medina. Right? Vayamim ahem keshevet, Amelech Achashverosh. Three times in two psukim, Achashverosh is mentioned. The first two psukim of the Megillah. What's missing? Those of you who know Tanakh Balpeh, what's missing? What's missing? His father's name. Don't you always have somebody has a father? Achashverosh doesn't have a father. What's the pshat? His father's name was Schwartz, and he had a duchan, and they they the Yehuda. And for that reason, he's not mentioned. And Achashverosh had to fight for status. He made a party, a year-long party. Can you imagine that? I mean, I can't. And attached to that year-long party was a seven-day party for the people who lived in Shushan to prove that while he didn't come with Yechus, he was going to create Yechus. Now let's say, let's imagine that Vashti was the wife of the previous king who Achashverosh overthrew. And he took her as a wife to symbolize his kind of grabbing onto the monarchy and keeping it, right? And so when Vashti said, no, I'm not coming, she was saying, you're not going to tell me what to do because I am the queen, but not because you are the king. I am the queen because I am the queen. I'm really the queen. You're just a usurper. So there was nothing left for poor Achashverosh to do except to kill her. And he was nervous about it, as you see in the Megillah, because he was nervous about it because she had, she had an army. She had her people. She had people who depended on her in order to get them ahead. And you know how it is. That's called politics. Politics even in the house of the, of the king of, of Persia. Even the king of Persia. So now when the, he went to look for another wife, it wasn't like Shlomo HaMelech. It wasn't like Shlomo HaMelech who married women who came with bona fide political credentials. This was the daughter of the king of this, and this was the daughter of the king of that, and this was the former wife of it. And he collected all of these wives in order to strengthen his political position in the Middle East, which was uh, probably not so great, you know, in terms of did he have SAM missiles, or did he have uh, atomic submarines, or he didn't have any of that stuff. He was a small country. As it is, you know, things haven't changed much, and Egypt was a very big country, and Babylonia was also a very big country. And so, so, uh, so that, that's, that's what happened. So, so when they went to look for a queen, when they looked for a, went to look for a queen, they wanted somebody who did not call attention to herself. 
as you know, in her beauty, which is why they had to uh, make her up for months and months until she looked like something at all. And they wanted somebody who had no relatives with any political importance. And that was Esther. You could not be better than Esther. Because the Jews had learned by then how to, uh, how to hide their success, their wealth, their achievement. And nobody knew who she was. Who's Esther? Who is Esther Abalka? I mean, just the fact that, that the, her name... I mean, who was her name? Who was she? Esther is Ishtar. Ishtar is the, one of the Persian gods. And so, even that was... You could identify her as being part of the Jewish family or the Jewish community. So that was her great advantage to Achashverosh. So she thought... She thought, well, you know, the luck of the draw. I became who I became. But Mordechai knew that you had to look a little harder to see what the real intention of the divine plan might be. And that Esther was not capable of doing. So Esther said, here are the clothing. Get dressed up. Don't call attention to yourself. I mean, this is how it is. This is how I, I think I grew up. Diaspora living. You know, like, like uh, my mother, Zichron Olivracha, you know, she would, she was into the don't call attention to yourself mode. <coughs> don't fight, walk away. Right? This is kind of a, of an attitude, even though I appreciate everything my mother did for me. <laughs> but she didn't make me into a physical hero. That, that's for sure. Yes. In Baca, there's the Rechov Esther Ramaka between Bet, Bet Lechem and uh, uh, Derechem. Where is the street for uh, Mordechai? Yes. Lot of, is this why I'm saying that? No, there are a lot of streets for Mordechai. Mordechai is right there? Yeah, there's also Tchemet Mordechai and other neighborhoods. Plenty of Mordechai. Okay. Turn over the page. I, 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 I stayed in the case. Turn over the page. The pa- it says the last source. The last source. I want to just make sure, make sure we get to it. So he says the story ends. The Jews are okay. They take care of themselves. They beat up whoever has to be beaten up. And then there's the the fourteenth day and the fifteenth day. Everything is fine. So now, Achashverosh, Mordechai and Esther are fast friends. And so the story concludes by saying, What does that possibly mean? He, he taxed them. He, he, he promulgated a tax on all the countries that were under his influence or Egypt. What does that mean? What does that mean? That somehow he returned to the position of power. Who was able to tax only the person who is in power. And, and in, in, in other words, what, they don't collect taxes in those days by, uh, by computer. It's not a computerized tax system. You have to go and get the money from each person. So you don't do that. You, people pay up on their own because they're afraid of the power of the king. So that this pasuk, even though it's kind of like a neutral pasuk, says that the king was all-powerful. He was able to impose taxes 
on all of these, all these people. All of the stories about his power and his uh, his gvura, his strength. Parashat Gidulat Mordechai, Asher Gidlo Hamelech, and 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 the whole story about the greatness of Mordechai, Asher Gidlo Hamelech. It was the king understood who was the power behind the Jewish response, and it wasn't Esther. It wasn't Esther. Esther just created an excuse for doing away with Haman. Remember, Haman sort of was sitting on her on her her bed. And Chazvero said, wow, now I get it. Of course, he didn't get it. But it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's like a moment when you can feel sorry for Haman at that particular, at that particular moment. But Chazvero uh, was smart enough to know that Mordechai was in charge. This is written in the Devreyamim, which is very similar to the Devreyamim, the Tanakh, which is about the, the monarchies in, in Eretz Yisrael. Now listen. Key Mordechai Yudi. Final statement, the last statement, Mikilat is there. Mishnele Melech Good, that's good, right? That was Haman's position. Mordechai became Haman, so he had to, had to uh, get dressed up. So at the end, he does get dressed up. He dresses up like Haman dressed up. So he says, Gadola Yehudim, he was a great man of the Jews. And most of his brethren found him a favorable character. Doresh Tovla Amo, he sought good for his people. The Dover Shalom, the Kolzarod, a great epitaph for Mordechai. Mordechai is the winner. He's the winner, he's the mover, he's the doer. But let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, Lerovechav. You see those words, Lerovechav? You have most of his brethren, Rashi says, Lerovechav. Not everybody was happy with Mordechai. Why? Some of the Sanhedrin, which is another name for they left him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Imagine that. Mordechai was a was in the kolel all those years he was in the kolel and then suddenly he got a job you know who talks about this dear Barbanel Barbanel he had this problem Barbanel was a genius and he knew uh, he knew a, a tremendous amount of the Torah as you see in his commentary his commentary at Tanakh right? a very long commentary at Tanakh Barbanel was uh, but then he got a job and he had to go in, you know, he had these cards, you had to put the card into the clock and check in. And the Babylon complains about the fact that he has to work. He didn't work because he needed the money, I think. I think he worked because the king wanted him to work. They needed his brain to work on the finances of uh, the modern finances. So here it says, Rashi says, Rashi says, Ratsui Lerobe some people left. They said, oh, Mordechai is not, is not the future. He's not the future because he's willing to give up Talmud Torah. He's willing to give up Talmud Torah to work. So, so you see that, that this was the period of time, according to Rashi, 
But there was some period of time when when the the definition of the Jewish people changed because the building of the Beit HaMikdash could only exist for the people who lived in Eretz Israel and not for the Jews who lived in in, uh, in the Persia so there had to be some other overriding uh, issue that would make it possible for the Jews in Eretz Israel and, and the Jews in Babel to be part of the same nation and amazingly enough as you know that that became Talmud Torah it was Torah Somehow the, the, the Jewish people said, we are the people who learn Torah. And that's how we define ourselves. And that's true about the people who live in Eretz Israel, the people who live outside of Eretz Israel. And, and so Mordechai, who saved the Jewish people, imagine that, saved the Jewish people, according to the story that Raja is telling us, Mordechai became, Mordechai became a, a, a similar person who who kind of left the Torah learning, who didn't do as much Torah learning after as he did before. And that was something that he was upbraided about. So now if you look at the last source, the last source, Mikuti Maran, Kama Torah above. Right? Rav Nachman of Ratzlev, the sixth Torah, in the first part of the, of the book. Now you know that this statement, this statement is not something that he explains because he thinks everybody knows what he's talking about. So I'll just try to translate it quickly. From Aleph, right? Leave that out. That doesn't matter for us. Aleph. Remember this problem with, this, with the clothing. Mordechai, at his height, came in a sackcloth to the king. You know, as though he was saying, your rules don't matter to me. Your idea about clothing doesn't matter to me. Esther, who is caught up by it all, sends out clothing, but Mordechai does not accept the change of clothing until after the story of Mordechai Haman Achashverosh is over. A person should not think about his own kavod, his honor. And try to increase the honor of God. Someone who runs after the kavod Somebody who is concerned about what he looks like, what people say about him, where he sits in, the sh- in shul, you know, uh, what sort of honor he received. That's why there are, you know, in, in many synagogues, there are endless numbers of honors to give out. Because everybody wants one. And he says, people like that, a person like that does not get the kavod, the honor, that is associated with God. But he gets kavod melachim. Now what is kavod melachim? The honor of kings. He says, Shneemarbo, and there's a pasuk in Mishlei, Perikafei pasuk 20, kavod melachim chakor davar. That's what the, the pasuk says. Kavod melachim, the honor of kings, chakor. Chakor means to investigate, to look into it, right? A wondrous pshat, he says, that's the kavod, the human kind of kavod, right? Clothing that costs more money. And, and, and uh, uh, what do you call that stuff? Uh, 
the ornaments that people wear. Like what? Sling. Sling. Jewelry. Accessories. Accessories. I like accessories. Accessories. It's not good enough. Not so good the way God created you. You need an accessory. You know, you have to hang something here and hang something there, and 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 and, and everybody knows exactly how much it costs. That's the yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like really. Uh, uh, you know, when you think about it, uh, somebody's putting something over on everybody else, you know, I'm not sure always. So he says, Chakar the Rod Malachim, somebody who gets dressed up and says, I'm a king, I'm the best, I, you know, I have the most expensive. That's Chakar Davar. What does Chakar Davar mean? He says, so that's the beginning, that's the beginning of the Lashon Harai. You know, somebody comes in, all dressed up, and says, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the greatest. So what does everybody else say? Who said, what's wrong with him? I mean, what can we get him on? What can we find out about him that he doesn't want us to know? You know, that's what everybody, they call that newspapers, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> a newspaper. They say, who is this guy who's getting a good seat at the annual dinner? I mean, who is this person who was sitting in the front in shul? Who is that person? Who does he think he is? You ever hear people talk like that? Who does he think he is? He says, or oh, oh, why is he getting that, that you know, honor? In the in the shul, I mean, who is he? Who is he after all? And then once you say who is he, then you have to look for something. And you know, if you look hard, you'll find something. There's always something. So that kvod belachim chakor davar, the person who assumes the kavod of belachim, he generates the need for other people to look into it and say, what's going on? And who are these people? And who is that? The whole point is, you say, he, he doesn't really deserve it. Hey, he gave money, but who is he? Right, you know, I mean, what's the difference if he has money or he doesn't have money? Why should he get, why should he get kavod? But if a person spends his life giving honor to God, then he merits kavod elokim. He merits the honor that you get from being associated with God. And that a person who is connected to God, nobody says, uh, is he, does he deserve it? Does he deserve to be with God? No, nobody says that. Elokim, uh, the end of the Pesach in Mishlech, Kvod Elokim, Haster Davar. Kvod Elokim is something hidden away. Hidden away means nobody tries to uncover what's really, you know, driving this guy. You can't really look into this kind of kavod. So you know that the Mesilat Yisharib has this kind of uh, uh, interesting idea in the chapters on Tahara, on purity. The, 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 uh, 
Yusuf Tishon says that you know sometimes you could do something, you could do a mitzvah for the right reason, to the right way, and very serious, and this, and yet something sneaks in. You know, you have to be careful, like some unnecessary, unwanted aspect of your personality sneaks into that pure act of a mitzvah, and you sort of feel like you you want to get a little bit of reward for walking the extra block to buy, you know, to buy the cheese in that store where it's super kosher and you didn't buy this cheese in this store where it's just very kosher. Uh, so somehow you feel that you look around and you say, anybody watching me? <laughs> watching me go into this store where they're going to know that I'm, that I'm getting the super kosher, the variety. So the Misad Yisraeli says, and he doesn't say it about Mordechai, but you could say it about this Rashi. That, that somehow there was, I mean, Mordechai did everything wonderfully. He was certainly the hero of Megillat Esther, as far as we can, he saved the Jewish people. He became Mishnela Melech, the second in command, which certainly would prevent anything similar happening during his, during his time and his, his jurisdiction uh, under, under Hashverosh. And yet, yet he somehow succumbed to this kavod that he received and he was noticed everybody noticed that he had not they, he was no longer learning as he had been learning before and that that was a decision that he could have avoided making he could have avoided making according to the according to the Rashi so you see that the Megillah Megillah Tester according if you add in this Rashi is very even handed it's very upfront and honest about the characters. Right? Mordechai and Esther were the characters we discussed tonight. But also very uh, unromantic about the characters themselves. They're not just good and bad. But Esther started off really without any comprehension of what was going on and somehow recovered somewhat. She was able, under Mordechai's tutelage, to realize that she had this rare opportunity and had to act on it, and she did. So there was sort of a kind of a recovery. Mordechai, on the other hand, who was willing to show up at the house of the king uh, wearing a sackcloth and, uh, and, you know, old, dirty clothes, uh, was at the end kind of succumbed somewhat to this idea of kavod and clothes and house that he had received after Achashim, after Haman uh, uh, died. So that the Megillah, I think, if I include this Rashi, is very even-handed about the personalities. They're not uh, just black and white, but they are malleable. They're malleable and they can have misunderstandings corrected. And sometimes even the person of the greatest understanding, with, with, who is Mordechai, um, is false, by the way. Rashi, what? I don't understand why you call that the Rashi. The, 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 Rashi's, the Rashi is the one that says that Rauvechav, Ratsui the Rauvechav, you see? The Lolakolechav. Oh, In other words, there's something wrong with it. At the oh, end, the low, the right, that, but that it says that it really says in the Megillah, I mean, which is kind of unnecessary without without a doubt. Uh, who would write such a thing uh, if Rashi was not correct? 
I didn't want to go that way, but could could be, could be. I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that the characters are more malleable. They're not all black and white, and even the good ones, right? The good guys, Mordechai, they're both good guys, right? They're, they're not good in, the, in exactly the same way. They don't work together perfectly. And Rashi can't help putting that out. Yes. It just does exactly. No, it says Rovachav. It says that in the puzzle. But he makes a big deal. Like he does the same thing he's blaming on. Uh, yeah, but, but you've got to say something. You've got to say Rovachav. You could say something else. You've got to say something. Next week, there's no shear. Next week is Purim. Even though it's mostly not in Yerushalayim, but it's also, you know, that's what we do. We don't want to miss a trick here. The Shmishtabura says any mitzvah Purim that you could do on Yudalit in Yerushalayim, you should do on Yudalit also. So, most Jews have figured out that the mitzvah they want to do is eating. So that's what they do. They what? No, I don't know. No, no, no. I don't. I haven't got that stamina. Yeah.